in which evidence was collected likely played a role. And skyrocketing costs. Typically, it'll get passed on to the, to the next buyer. Developers asked to pay more to build in Vancouver. How much more that could end up costing you? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. Breaking details in a disturbing investigation involving the death of a 13-year-old girl. The body of Marissa Shen was found early yesterday morning in Burnaby Central Park. Today, police confirming she was murdered and released new details. Let's bring in now Ramina Dea, who is following this story for us. And Ramina, I understand there are two new key pieces of information. Absolutely, and homicide investigators have now adjusted the timeline and they have also released a new video which shows the murder victim wearing what's believed to be the same clothes that were found with her. The new surveillance video shows 13-year-old murder victim Marissa Shen entering a Burnaby apartment just blocks away from the crime scene. From this video, we'd like for people to recognize her walk, her how she appeared to people that may have been driving by. I hit not commenting on whose apartment. The footage captured hours before Shen left her home at 6.02 p.m. Tuesday night. The teen's body discovered several hours later at 1.10 early Wednesday morning. The killer still out there. It could be here for all we know. We don't know. And that's very scary. Diana and Simran are students at Mosscrop Secondary, the same high school Shen attended. Bad things are happening all the time and people are just so consumed with themselves and focusing on themselves. And then when something happens, they don't think that that could happen to me. We're not sure if she was an intended target of homicide or if the event was random. Those public safety issues are still unknown, and we do ask that people remain vigilant. A warning Burnaby residents are not taking for granted. It's always just important to be careful and be aware of your surroundings, I think. And now I'm going to be mindful of like where I go at what time and everything. The motive, unknown. By all accounts, this could have been anyone's child. Miss Shen was a good kid. And she's missed dearly by her family right now. They're in the initial stages of grieving. And um, we're working and doing the best we can to find those responsible. And we need the help of the public. And Ramina, I understand investigators are hoping this video will lead to more tips from the public. That's the goal, and it's a key piece of evidence at this point that they want everyone to take a look at. So if you saw Shen, if you recognize her from that video, if you saw her after 6 p.m. on Tuesday, detectives want to hear from you. And Jay? All right, thanks for that, Romina. Romina Dea reporting tonight. Police issuing a public warning about a sex offender who they believe is a high risk to reoffend. 39-year-old Jared Edward Harris has an extensive criminal history and he's now been released from custody and will be living in North Delta. He's to abide by a number of conditions, most notably no contact with anyone under the age of 16. He's not to be in any public parks or public pools and he's not to enter any store where alcohol is sold. If you see Harris breaching any of these conditions, you're asked to call Delta Police. Child luring charges against the mission principal caught in a creep catcher sting have been stayed. 38-year-old Jason Obert has been released on a number of conditions. Jill Bennett explains why the admissibility of the evidence was in question and what it could mean for how creep catchers operates. 
We have your pictures, James. That was last October, a sting by the Fraser Valley Creep Catchers group outside an Abbotsford shopping mall. Let's talk how you're here to meet a 14-year-old girl. The following month, Jason Obert, a former elementary school principal in Mission, was charged with child luring. Now those charges have been stayed. I think it's a, a bit of a slap in the face to not, not only me and, and the organization and the rest of the team, but a slap in the face to the community. Marie Bullion, who now captains a similar group called Block Guardians, was involved in the sting after handed the group's cell phone evidence to police. Obert is now the subject of a nine-month peace bond that restricts his contact with persons under the age of 18. The Crown agreed to the resolution in this case after a full and careful review of the facts of the offense, the nature of the communications, the available evidence, including concerns regarding the admissibility of evidence and the personal circumstances of the accused. Most of the lawyers who have been looking at this have been worried about the, um, the manner in which the evidence is collected. Creep catchers. Where are you going? Another high-profile case linked to the Surrey creep catchers involves RCMP Constable Dario Devich. He was charged with child luring after a similar sting outside a Surrey mall. The question now, could that charge also be stayed? I think we're going to see that in other ones of these cases. I don't expect to see um, you know, convictions following from uh, a great number of these. Maybe one or two. You know, There might be one or two that aren't botched. We're not here to impede on any investigations. We really do just want to help. Devich's lawyer says he has grave concerns about how the evidence against his client was gathered, as well as its reliability. The case is set for trial at the end of the year. Jill Bennett, Global News. Some short-term relief on the wildfire front today. This was the scene in Williams Lake this morning. The sky's opening up. And while it's good news, it's not enough yet to make a real difference. A plan for evacuees to return home still up in the air for this community right now. Here's a look at the current wildfire situation. There are 152 wildfires burning across the province. That includes 12 new fires yesterday. Total costs so far about $112 million. And there are about 44,000 people out of their homes. Our Nitu Garcha got an up-close look at the province's largest wildfire. Nitu, what was it like behind the fire line? Two weeks ago is when it all began, and just over my shoulder is where. Fast-moving flames making their way across this hillside, growing into a wildfire that now measures as the largest one burning in B.C. Now, I got inside that fire line today, where rain has both helped and hindered the firefighting effort. An average 12 to 14-hour workday, around-the-clock efforts by about 220 firefighters trying to fully contain a blaze that just keeps on growing. There's a lot of challenges on this fire for sure. Um, it's pretty aggressive. The challenges we're facing with the terrain are we've got a lot of steep draws, um, which make it challenging us for, for us to get equipment from the points we need it to be to the points we want to end at. Helicopters at times, the only way to get close. The Ashcroft Reserve wildfire now being called the Elephant Hill wildfire as it continues north, away from communities like Cash Creek. Measuring at about 56,000 hectares and only 30% contained. Two weeks after it first flared up, a downpour of rain. While that's good because it raises the uh, the humidity and dampens the fire behavior, it does mean that we have been hindered in our ability to do controlled burns to, uh, to manage the fuel that we're dealing with here. It all began here on a hillside above Ashcroft. 
I'm actually getting very nervous. Something is really wrong. So we watched the, the flames and the fire start, and then it just, the wind picked up, and it just blew it right across up above the reserve. Residents back home and no longer on evacuation alert, but certainly still on high alert. Because you just never know, you know. I just, I've learned so much from this. Like, we should all be prepared and make sure that we have water, all those kind of things. But officials say all it takes is a change in the wind and some more dry, hot days before communities like this one could once again be threatened. Officials confirm it started here, but the cause of this wildfire that has destroyed dozens of homes in its path is still unknown. Back to you. All right, thank you, Nitu. Nitu Garcher reporting for us tonight. Some tense moments in Penticton this morning when a wildfire broke out in the West Bench area. Smoke from the fire was spotted around 9.30 this morning, but a helicopter, along with ground crews, got on top of it quickly and brought it under control. Two homes sustained some damage. The fire is now listed as 100% contained, but crews are monitoring the situation and watching out for hotspots. Policeman came and said, you need to get out now. So I grabbed her and a couple of my mom's paintings, and that's it. It's about as close as you're going to get to uh, having a wildland interface fire of losing structures. Uh, we literally, uh, the fire backed up right into people's properties. Now, fighting these fires is gritty and exhausting work. As you can imagine, crews are working long hours with little rest. Reinforcements are arriving from around the world, including a team of fire specialists from Australia. Catherine Urquhart explains how they'll be putting their skill set to use. Be on notice to move tomorrow, and uh, I think we're going to be heading out of here approximately 1,200 or thereabouts. They're here to help. Having come all the way from Australia, 53 firefighting specialists are bringing some much-needed assistance in the battle against BC wildfires. We've had uh, Canadians and, and, and US firefighters come to Australia to assist us with our fires, and um, the Canadians government uh, requested assistance and we're, we're happy to come over and, and, and help. Wildfires are common in Australia during their hotter months, making them experts on fire suppression. But BC is unique. Certainly we have different fuel types. So in Australia we have eucalypt forests uh, compared to, you know, to pine and conifer and the like. And so it's about coordinating the use of the aircraft for, um, for supporting the operation. Back home I also do um, air attack, which is what we call, which is directing the firebombing aircraft to suppress the fires, um, to support the ground crews again. Aussie crews have come to our aid many times before. In 2014 they battled a fire in Prince George. This time their two incident management teams offer some much needed relief. And of course, just given the fact we're, uh, we're only about halfway through July right now, uh, we want to make sure we're pacing our staff as well. So having this additional capacity means we can give some people some rest. And of course, we've got uh, almost 1,000 people now in from out of province, including Australia and elsewhere in Canada. The Australians are expected to be in B.C. for about a month. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Chilliwack. A semi-truck collided with a stray cow this morning, setting off a chain reaction of destruction in Armstrong. The truck veered off the highway, narrowly missing one home, then smashing into part of a second one, coming to rest just inches away from where the homeowner slept. Global Okanagan's Megan Turcato reports. A bizarre overnight accident left behind a major cleanup job. It's hard, you know, to imagine something like this 
could actually happen. Given this semi-truck's current condition, it's difficult to picture. But just before 2 a.m., it was towing two trailers north on nearby Highway 97A when it crashed into a cow and left the highway. We woke suddenly, the whole house was shaking, uh, a quick shake. We thought um, it felt like an earthquake. The truck and its trailers ended up stretched across residential yards. Its driver suffered serious injuries, but is expected to survive. The vehicle missed one home, but caused significant damage to another. We have cracks in our ceilings, the, the roof, everything's gone, our whole deck is gone. Cindy Marchand estimates the truck came about 15 feet from her as she lay sleeping. She'd like to see more done to protect her home from the neighboring highway. When the highway was twinned, we had concerns then about vehicles coming over and we're sure that wouldn't happen, and it has. So we would really like to readdress that we need a berm or some type of barrier so this does not happen again. For now, the cleanup continues. Vancouver today with the city announcing new incentives to increase housing options in a market squeezed by skyrocketing real estate. But as Ted Chernecki tells us, the city is also doubling some of its development fees, which will add even more costs onto new homes. To see Vancouver's west side, it doesn't look like there's a lot of room to densify, not with condos, but with more single detached homes on existing lots. But apparently there is, and Vancouver wants homeowners to start building smaller, more affordable homes right next to their existing residence. We have uh, citywide changes to neighborhoods across Vancouver uh, for more rental and owned housing. So opportunities both to, to create more rental and uh, more home ownership in the single family neighborhoods. Uh, by stratifying uh, some of these uh, lots uh, where there is a character home that can be uh, restored and more density added. This takes laneway housing to a whole new level. If homeowners have the room, they may be able to add up to two smaller homes on their existing property and either rent them or, if stratified, sell them outright. So it could be sold, uh, still not maybe affordable to the 30% income, but a lot more affordable than trying to buy a big house on a big lot. It's all part of bringing at least a semblance of affordability to the west side. Vancouver also wants to double the development fees it charges builders who will then likely pass them on to buyers. That'll add up to about $2,500 to a single detached house and three to 5000 to the average condo. So far from making housing more affordable... In a few months' time, every condo in Vancouver goes up by $5,000? Probably take a little longer than that, but, you know, six to 12 months, you would see that. It would be reflected in the price for sure. It's now time to, to move those uh, charges up and make sure that the developers are paying their fair share uh, for the cost of processing at City Hall. And while Vancouver says a large part of the higher development fees will go towards affordable housing, the city is anticipating many more building permit applications and says it will have to hire more staff. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, now a remarkable story on the North Shore where a teenager is credited with chasing down a thief and recovering the property he stole. As John Wall reports, this amateur crime fighter is only 13 years old. Good job. Like most kids his age, Thomas Bayer likes playing video games, enjoying his summer days outside, and staying active. But this teen's true calling is coming to the rescue. I heard the lady scream. This is kind of an instant reaction. Um, I saw something happening and took action. What was happening? An alleged robbery in progress near this North Vancouver strip mall. A man was running away from a vehicle with a broken window, bag in hand. 
So Bear gave chase. I chased him to a local flower nursery. I grabbed him by the shoulders and kicked down his knee and wrestled a bag out of his hands. But Thomas Bear isn't your average teen, and I'm standing here as a measure of scale to show you why. At only 13 years old, he already stands six foot one, weighs 180 pounds, and every part of him is filled with a sense of justice. I think we supersized him at birth, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's, he's growing into a, a nice young man. I'm proud of him. While the thief got away, Bear recovered the stolen goods, a backpack full of gecko food. There is a uh, MacBook Pro, I think, in there, a whole computer thing, yet he grabbed that bag. Police applauding the teen for showing that much heroin, recommending that crime fighting be left to them. Whatever is in the backpack isn't worth getting hurt over. Uh, so, I mean, certainly that would be my biggest concern, would be for the safety of the public. While Bear's future fight against the forces of evil will be reserved to online gaming, the most important lesson he has learned, how great it feels to help others. I thought it was pretty cool. John Hua, Global News. Come the poor cousins of Metro Vancouver's SkyTrain line, the original Expo-era car is hopelessly out of date, but still making up almost half the fleet. As Ted Field reports, all 114 of them are now getting an extreme makeover. There is not much technology we use now that we had way back in 1986, but that's the case for 114 of our SkyTrain cars. Uh, these cars have been the workhorse for the SkyTrain fleet since they've been put in service back in 86, and uh, they're in service uh, every day. In the 80s, they were shiny, new, and passengers had to get used to the idea of no driver up front. Extend life uh, from 15 years beyond the end of their service life. So we'll, we'll have them for some, some time to come. Uh, the great thing is, is it keeps the Mark 1s on the tracks, keeps the capacity that we really need. The project costs $38 million. New trains with similar capacity would have been $265 million. So what will you notice? Better lighting, a few less seats to expand room for standees and bikes. Where you see these pedestals, we're going to have a single seat in this area to open up the capacity for passengers. You may also have a better chance of catching those important announcements. Uh, the speakers have always been a, a challenge for customers to hear. You'd need all the ductwork in order to, to convey the, the cooler air, and these cars were not designed for that back in 86. Mm, so you just have to open the window on these ones still, eh? Absolutely, yeah. They may be warm, but they're good for another 15 years, and the new paint jobs make them more fashionable. Ted Field, Global News. A news hour follow-up now to one of the most heartwarming stories we've seen, the fundraising campaign of a young man whose life was changed forever when he asked someone for a hug. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the Vancouver Whitecaps are adding another highlight to an already eventful young life. We just want to thank everybody out there for all the support we've gotten so far. From humble Good Samaritans to media stars, the last seven months have been quite a ride for Sandy and Andrew Teal. It all started when then 14-year-old Andrew decided to raise money for Covenant House, an organization that helps at-risk youth. I thought, oh, maybe I'll raise $100, but I raised a lot more than $100. 
over $49,000 to date. To understand the connection with Covenant House, you have to go back nine years to the day Sandy and Andrew met at this Coquitlam Elementary School. Andrew was a six-year-old foster child in need of a hug. And Sandy... One more hug? ...was and is a nurturing daycare operator. Andrew had thought about asking for a hug, he told me later, for a long time before he ever got enough courage to do it. That hug led to Andrew's adoption by the Teal family. I feel like I want to give all the people who uh, went through the foster care or have something that happened in their life to give them another chance. Sandy and Andrew's good deeds have not gone unnoticed. In a a world where there's such tragic news, you don't often hear of uh, people like the Teals. And so the Vancouver Whitecaps have nominated them for the Major League Soccer Community MVP Award. Next month, they fly to Chicago for the All-Star Game and a chance to win $25,000 for Covenant House. But they need your online vote to win. You can go to mlssoccer.com slash community MVP and help these uh, special people that have helped so many kids. If we could win that money and bring it home, they can support more kids. And more kids have a chance to be successful. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. That's a great story. Mm-hmm. Take something away from that and almost $50,000 today. Amazing. All right. Um, Mr. Simpson, I do vote to grant parole ineligible. And that will be very. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, O.J. Simpson takes one big step towards being a free man. The former football star acquitted of double murder more than 20 years ago granted parole today from a 33-year sentence for armed robbery. He could be out on October 1st. NBC's Joe Fryer was at the parole hearing. A unanimous decision reached after the former football star made his case. I've done my time. You know, I've done it as well and as respectfully as I think anybody can. At times combative. It was my property. I wasn't there to steal from anybody. And I would never, ever pull a weapon on anybody. At times contrite. You know, nine years away from your family is just, just not worth it. Appearing in front of cameras for the first time in four years, Simpson looked thinner. I've basically spent a conflict-free life. He has served as commissioner of the prison softball league, started a Baptist church service, and took classes like alternative to violence. It gave me so many tools on how to use it to, to, you know, to try to walk these guys through, you know, not throwing punches at one another. Supporters at the hearing included his sister, Shirley Baker, and daughter, Arnell, who testified. We just want him to come home so that we can move forward for us, quietly. But to move forward. Simpson is serving time for the armed robbery of two sports memorabilia dealers. Today, one of the victims, Bruce Fromong, testified that Simpson should be released. This is a good man. He made a mistake. Even offering to pick him up from prison. Juice, I'll be here tomorrow for you. I mean that, but... Friend Tom Scotto met with Simpson after the hearing. Came out yelling, we're going home. I'm coming home, yeah, coming home. Hugged us all, we making plans. It's the latest legal twist for Simpson, who in the 90s was accused and acquitted of murdering his ex-wife Nicole Brown and her friend Ron Goldman. But in a civil trial, he was found liable for the killings. The parole board says those cases were mentioned in many of the opposition letters it received from the public. These items will not be considered in this case. 
Christopher Darden, author of the book In Contempt, was one of the prosecutors in Simpson's murder trial. He is the same O.J. I saw in 1994. He's still a narcissist. He is still a very manipulative person. And he is still inclined to blame other people for his conduct. But a state assessment deemed Simpson a low risk to reoffend, paving the way for his release. There's nothing normal about O.J. Simpson, but this was a normal decision, and that's a good thing for the justice system. A rare show of unity tonight among Republicans and Democrats in Washington, D.C., as legislatures offer encouragement to Senator John McCain. McCain announcing late yesterday that he's been diagnosed with glioblastoma, an aggressive form of brain cancer. And while the median survival time is 14 to 15 months, many are saying cancer never met a more formidable opponent than the 80-year-old senator. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, also known as William and Kate, are taking Europe by storm on their latest goodwill tour. Today it was Germany where the royals tried their hand at making pretzels. Kate looking like a natural when it came to flipping the dough. William, well, a little less so. At the waterfront, they served as coxswains in a friendly boat race between the twin towns of Heidelberg and the city of their royal titles, Cambridge. William fared a little better here with his boat narrowly beating his wife's. wonder what the stakes were for that race. Well, it looks like Bodie has finally got his revenge. You might recall the controversy last year when the British public voted to name a new research vessel Bodie McBoatface, but the government rejected that and named it after Sir David Attenborough. Not so in Sweden, where the government will honour the public's number one choice for a train between Stockholm and Gothenburg. Trainee McTrainface received nearly 50% of the votes in a poll run by the rail company and a newspaper. The new name will be officially unveiled in the fall. In health news tonight, some bombshell research released in London on dementia. As Lynn Collier reports, the largest study ever into its cause has found that more than a third of all cases could be prevented. Most people with hearing loss typically wait a decade before finally seeking treatment, not realizing they risk losing much more than their hearing. When people have hearing loss, it becomes much more difficult for those people to connect with uh, the people around them. Hearing loss can often lead to isolation and depression, and researchers now say it's also a leading risk factor for dementia. The study identified nine different lifestyle behaviors that can increase a person's risk of dementia. They include the usual suspects, smoking and lack of exercise, as well as others you might not expect, midlife hearing loss and failure to complete high school. There's a thing that's known as cognitive reserve, so it is a little like having a muscle. Researchers say the more the brain is exercised, including early in life, the stronger it becomes. It's like, I like to say, it's like saving for retirement, you know. The more you use your brain, the more you build those connections in your brain. If your brain starts to slip a bit as you age, as you, as you may be getting Alzheimer's disease, you just have more money in the bank. You have more uh, a brain to lose where you can still function and you can still have your memories. Nearly 50 million people worldwide currently have dementia, but the study predicts that number will nearly triple by the year 2050, largely driven by an aging population. This is a stark warning that we need to start thinking about this and thinking about putting prevention strategies in place. There is currently no drug treatment to prevent or cure dementia, but researchers say these lifestyle changes represent the best weapon against a disease that's on pace to become the biggest killer of the 21st century. 
Lynn Collier, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. An eagle, a chicken, and a cow combined for an amazing wildlife drama in the Fraser Valley after the forecast. I am very intrigued by this story. <laughs> it was getting pretty tense out there. The cow was very fired up. I don't think I've seen an encounter quite like that oh. before. You know, I, I was really happy to see some rain today. Yeah, cool things down a little bit in the morning, but maybe not as much as some people were hoping for, Yvonne. Yeah, so rain, we haven't seen it in a month, 30 days out of the airport, and temperatures, yeah, a bit of a reprieve depending on where you were. Um, we'll have more on that and the timing of more rainfall leading into tomorrow and potentially for our weekend. First off, some nice breaks out there. Uh, we still see more cloud covered on the airport, temperatures at 22. A southerly wind right now at 17 kilometers per hour. The high today, we climbed up to 23 which is right where we should be for this time of the year. Average sits at 22 and a record of 29 degrees set back in 1956. We still have some active weather and some thunderstorms that are rolling through the region. Thompson, Revelstoke and closer in towards Golden at this hour. Similar for the southeastern corners of the province. Now this low will track its way towards the east. There will be a break between systems tomorrow from many areas into the interior. Temperatures though are still going to be on the warm side. And just north for the northeastern corners of the province, the severe thunderstorm warning has been lifted for Fort Nelson, but a severe thunderstorm watch is still in effect for the northeastern corners and stretching all the way down and towards the peace for this evening. Now, in behind, this is the weather maker and cold front that we are going to see sweep across the south coast. Coastal sections will be looking at a rain that's both the north and central coast. And Metro Vancouver, the timing of this will be showers for the morning hours, heavier at times for the afternoon. It'll lead in towards our Saturday and then a nice break once again on our Sunday with the return for some sunshine. Coastal Sections also seeing windy conditions tomorrow inland for Smithers underneath the partly cloudy sky. There is a slight chance for areas near Fort Nelson tomorrow to see an isolated shower or risk of a thunderstorm. Most areas for the central interior will see breaks, temperatures into the low 20s with Prince George up to 23. It's the Columbia region tomorrow that will see more cloud cover and a chance of showers. Thompson Okanagan remaining dry. Temperatures for Kamloops climbing up to 29 degrees. Rainfall across the south coast and stretching into towards Whistler and the Valley tomorrow. Hope will be up to 23 degrees. Most of it is going to develop late in the morning and in towards the afternoon. Temperatures along the island for Victoria tomorrow up to 18 degrees. And Tofino with heavier rainfall up to 16, especially for the afternoon. We will see a wet day tomorrow. Not a complete washout for our Saturday. A nice clearing by the afternoon. Plenty of sunshine for our Sunday as we get up to 26 degrees. Inland potentially up to 30. A few announcements this evening going out to Eileen Elford from uh, Chilliwax. Celebrating 101. Annie James from Victoria celebrating 101 as well. And a happy anniversary to Ed and Velma West from Sydney uh, celebrating their 71st wedding anniversary. So congratulations to you. We had a water spout that was uh, spotted this afternoon or this morning and leading into the afternoon. This was off of Lasecki Island and this was sent in from Shirley from Vancouver Island. Her son took the shot. Great picture. Thank you very much, Yvonne. All right, some remarkable pictures of the Wild Kingdom in action from uh, global viewer Emily Henderson in the Fraser Valley community of DeRoche. An eagle had swooped down and grabbed one of her hens for dinner, but one of her cows was having none of it, leaping into action and charging the bird. After a short but spirited tussle, the eagle was able to get away with its prey, but not before being given a what for by the cow. Henderson says they've seen more wildlife in their neighborhood since the wildfires broke out. 
cow is taking a stand for the farm. Barnyard Brotherhood. That's right. I'm sure there's a George Orwell reference wasn't, in there. Wasn't there a cartoon, Cow and Chicken? I don't know about that. I think there was, actually. So, it sounds like it was a big hit. It was. Yeah. Well, with me, anyway. It was. Yeah. Left a lasting impression. All right. So I'm going to tell you and show you as part of the sports cast that sometimes when you yell at your boss, it pays off. Everybody screams at me. But Wally listened to the screaming this time, and because of that, the Lions got that brilliant touchdown by Brian Burnham. Also had a wild new ride giving thrill-seekers all they can handle in London. We have Cow con- and chicken. We've confirmed it. It was a, a real show. <laughs> it was a real it. show. I Breaking mean, it, news. No frisky dingo, but it was okay. Oh, no, frisky yeah. dingo was strong. Okay, here we go. From obscure cartoons to this. If it was bobsledding, I would really like Canada's chances against Jamaica, but soccer, not so easy for Canada, although the Canadian performance so far at the CONCACAF Gold Cup made everyone very optimistic about Canada's chances of winning their quarterfinal match tonight against the team they call the Reggae Boys. And of course, Alfonso Davies has been the breakout star for Canada at this tournament, although tonight he was marked rather closely and actually was subbed out in the second half. Early, remember this guy, Darren Maddox, former Whitecap. Across to Sean Francis, that's a goal. So one nothing for the Jamaicans just six minutes in. Canada brought in Kyle Laren for this one, and he nearly scores here, but his header just misses the post. So one nothing Jamaica after one. Second half, great shot by Romario Williams. Maybe Canada gave him too much room there. That makes it 2 nothing for Jamaica. Canada had chances to score. They controlled play, especially in the first half, and they get one in the second half. Junior Hoylett, his first ever goal for Canada, and it's a good one from long range. That made it 2-1, but unfortunately, that was the only goal Canada would score. So Jamaica beats the Canadians 2-1, knocks them out of the tournament. They'll play the winner of Mexico and Honduras. That game is later tonight. Major League Soccer is going to start using video replays in games on August 5th and from there moving forward. Uh, A video replay will be able to check to see if the on-field referees are correct in four different categories. Goals, obviously, penalty decisions, straight red cards, and mistaken identity during fouls. I didn't know there was a problem with mistaken identity. The uh, video referee will be at the stadium rather than a head office like uh, in the NHL. Got to show you this from last night. Vancouver won 1-0 over the LA Galaxy. The real star of the game was David Osted. Osted made some great saves before the Whitecaps scored the only goal of the game. When this guy is on, the Whitecaps are a much tougher team to beat, and that was a great save. That one was looking to go in for sure. But Osted, shutout last night. So this year, the British Open is at Royal Brookdale in England, one of the great old courses in the world, but one that could be confused with those wind tunnels they test airplane designs in. Remember, at the British Open, you often have to overcome a tag team of nasty weather and quirky courses. This one featuring the usual deep pot bunkers, along with things like yellow rattle and black knapweed. And we all know how bad that can be for golfers. Here we go. Jordan Spieth. No bogeys today. And actually, the weather wasn't too bad. It had its moments, but... We've all seen it much worse. (laughs) Five under 65 for Jordan Spieth. His putter was perfect. Brooks Kepka. Yeah, they had the bunker cams. 
U.S. Open champ. Hasn't done much since the Open. Hasn't even played or practiced very much, but apparently he doesn't need to. He also had a 5-under 65. Matt Kuchar, one of the better players to have never won a major. Had a 29, a 1-9. Pull oh, that's in, too. Also 65. Rory McIlroy bogeyed five of his first six, birdied three of his last four. He has won over. Shot of the day, Charlie Hoffman. Is this from the Napweed or the Yellow Rattle? I'm not sure. Whatever the case, it's an eagle on the first hole from off the fairway. He is at three under 67. Scoreboard, please. Take me to your leaders. Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, and Matt Kuchar. There you see Austin Conley, actually born in Texas, but he has a Canadian father, and Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford. Not a bad start, plus one. Tomorrow, the Lions will finally get to play a home game after three straight in the East. Winnipeg is in town. Travis Lule will be the starting quarterback. Now, the big news about the Lions' win in Hamilton last week was, of course, Lule coming off the bench for the injured John Jennings and playing like he did when he was younger and healthier. But the big play of the game was the one-handed touchdown catch by Brian Burnham, a catch the referees at first said was no good, but they allowed it after video review, after Wally Buono had asked for a video review. And because of that, Wally wants some props. Well, you didn't talk about me winning the challenge. <laughs> to see if I didn't win the challenge, it would have been incomplete. <laughs> I got to at least be considered. Does Kahari Jones deserves some of the credit because he was screaming at you in the sidelines to throw Everybody the Everybody screams at me. All right. So Wally is a rough life sometimes. Yeah, just sometimes you got to listen to your subordinates. Eskimos tie cats tonight. Eskimos haven't lost yet. Mike Riley, the former Lion, to Bryant Mitchell. 8-6 Hamilton at that point. Third quarter, Eskimos to punt. Blocked! Jeff Hughes scoops it up. Ticats touchdown. Lions are liking this score. 25-13 in the third. Hamilton over Edmonton. Afternoon game at Fenway. Red Sox and Blue Jays. Didn't look good for a while. Mookie Betts at the plate. Men on second and third. And he scores a couple of runs here. But then... The Blue Jays got help from a star, namely the Sun. Pierce. Steve Pierce pop-up will end the inning. No! My eyes! Brock Holt can't find this one in the Sun. Two-run score. Take another look. Ah! Oh, well, he put his glove up. Hit his glove, but he couldn't see a thing. And then from there, Ryan Goins, still the same inning. They put four up in this inning, the Jays did, and they won this game over Boston. Actress just confessed to having a drug-dealing past, plus why social media is all abuzz over Lena Dunham's new gig. And we're in San Diego to bring you the latest from Comic-Con 2017. All of that's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you. All right, we all remember this was one of the most popular attractions in Vancouver during the 2010 Winter Games. People lining up for hours. London now has a larger, faster version of the Robson Square urban zip line, and NBC's Keir Simmons took it for a test zip. For the past few difficult months, London has been a city in need of a lift. But today, things are looking up, literally, with the highest, fastest city zip line in the world. All right, silver bits just over your shoulder. I went to try it out. You're going to zip down at about 33 miles per hour. 
Back in 2012, the then mayor, Boris Johnson, demonstrated how not to do it. Get me a rope, okay? Since then, Paris, Vegas, and even Dubai have been seen from a high wire. It's 10 stories up, and there's no elevator. <laughs> Once at the top, the view is spectacular from the Houses of Parliament to the London Eye. And these 11 and 14 year olds from Seattle had already been down. What's your advice? Just don't think about it. Don't think about it? No, oh, no, no, no. no that's not what she meant. Don't think about like, don't like think falling. My turn now. And their advice wasn't helping. My breath is a little shorter. My, my heart is beating. And I'm trying very hard not to look down. You have to walk down sky high steps. It felt like walking the plank. Wow. It is really, really scary. <laughs> it's open until October. A chance to see London in a new way. Keir Simmons, NBC News, London. Cool. I like it. It sounded like there was a jet engine in there somewhere. Yeah, that didn't sound quite right, but who knows? Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was a drone. They're enhancing the experience, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Are you good with heights? No, I'm not good with no. heights. I would do it. I, I feel safe as long as there's a harness around me. It should be yeah. okay. But. Why do you think I'm only five foot seven? I'm not good with heights. <laughs> That's right. Keep it low. Keep yeah. it low. All right, one last look at the weather before we, we go. We are going to be tracking some wet weather developing as early as...